Hey folks, it's me, Ben Blacker, the creator and host of the Writers Panel. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Um, I'm so busy right now. It's great. <laughs> this this year kind of took off like a rocket, and it's exciting, and I love the stuff that I'm working on. Um, but it means that you're going to get a short intro, and you're going to hear it again probably in the next podcast, which that's weird if you're listening to the second podcast. And anyway, um, here's the short intro. If you appreciate this podcast at all, if it does anything for you, please consider um, showing your support by becoming a paid subscriber on benblacker.substack.com. I really appreciate that um, show of support. And uh, it helps me keep the podcast going. You know, I love doing it. um, But you know, (laughs) it is work. That is benblacker.substack.com. You can become a paid subscriber to receive news about the podcast, uh, see some live stuff that I'm doing that's coming up. Um, You'll also get access to our live Zoom Q&As with professional writers. We've got some great ones coming up the next couple months. We do them every month, and you can listen to old uh, recordings uh, of the past year, year and a half of them on uh, the Substack if you are a paid subscriber. So once again, benblacker.substack.com. And uh, thank you, as always, for listening. Please enjoy this episode. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! Uh, Zoe Lister-Jones is here. Uh, Zoe... Tell the folks where they have seen your name on their television screens um, as a writer and director, as well as an actor. Well, I my uh, I, I've written, I wrote a number of films, co-wrote a number of films before uh, I made my directorial debut that I uh, wrote independently. But um, I uh, made a film called Breaking Upwards that I uh, co-wrote with Daryl Wine. Uh, we also co-wrote Lola Versus, a Fox Searchlight film that was starring Greta Gerwig. Um, we co-wrote a film called Consumed. Uh, and then I wrote and directed, which was my directorial debut, a film called Band-Aid that premiered at Sundance in 2017. Uh, then uh, wrote and directed the remake of The Craft for Blumhouse and Sony uh, then co-wrote and co-directed How It Ends, again with Daryl Wine. Um, and then um, I wrote and directed um, a TV series called Slip for Roku. Um, I think that's, I think that covers it. That's a plenty. That's impressive. Usually I put all that in the intro, uh, but you covered all of it. Um, it, it seems to me just like looking at your resume and looking at interviews and stuff that like writing and directing was always part of the plan and, and kind of went along, you sort of crested at the same time as an actor. Was that it? Like, like when did this start and why did this start for you? Why, why write? I always loved writing. Um, it was always a way I think for me to help myself process emotions that might otherwise overwhelm me. Um, I wrote a lot of like um, creative fiction and poetry as a kid. And then um, when I got to college, I went to NYU for acting school uh, uh, at Tisch. And um, there was a sketch comedy class uh, where we were 
um, encouraged to write our own sketch sketches. Um, and I wrote, I just loved writing. And that's when I really realized like how much I loved writing dialogue um, and comedy. And uh, it was a school that was founded by David Mamet. Um, and he came, he would sort of famously come and drop in uh, unannounced and everyone would stop everything they were doing and every scene study class and just run and, and sort of worship at his altar. Um, but everyone would put up scenes that they were working on as actors written by predominantly, you know, like famous <laughs> playwrights and screenwriters. And I uh, decided to put up one of the sketches that I wrote. Um, and he was notoriously like cruel. Like he would stop people in the middle of their scenes and just be like, sit down. That's not good. Um, and he let me get to the end of my scene and he said, who wrote that? And I said, I did. And he said, you should write a feature. And um, he said some other fucked up shit to me like earlier <laughs> when I was there. I think I was like a, a junior um, in college. Then my freshman year, he said, uh, he asked me what I was doing there and that I would would have a short shelf life as an actor, which is a really horrific thing to say to a young woman. Um, so, you know, I, I, <laughs> I was already like, uh, a little bit like, fuck this dude, but, um, but that was a meaningful moment. I think especially for like my professors and, and fellow students to bear witness to that moment to be like, oh, wow. Like I just got, um, encouragement from, regardless of you know what he's like as a person or his politics uh you know an esteemed writer um and uh and so i think i think those moments are really you know obviously um profound in a young writer's life and then um when i was a i, I took a, a solo performance class also um at NYU, and I started to write pieces for myself to perform. I was also writing those in sketch comedy, but there was like already um, a sort of intersection between. I, I liked writing for my <laughs> myself, you know, um, and and it felt like a really exciting and electric intersection of my um, passions. And uh, and I had a solo performance uh, teacher who said I should write a one woman show. So then I did, um, and that was sort of the beginning of my of my professional writing career, I, I wrote, I went through my first heartbreak and, um, and I wrote a, a solo show about heartache where I, I played all like 11 different characters and I uh, like scrounged up enough money to rent a theater. And um, somehow like the New, the New York times came and made, made me a critic's pick. Like, but it was like, <laughs> it was, only on for a week so <laughs> nobody could actually come see it but um but it but it was really cool and from that I got my first agent and manager um yeah and and so that sort of became the beginnings of a career but breaking upwards was the first thing that I uh co-wrote that then was you know produced as a film um and then that opened a lot of doors in the industry well, so so once you got that agent manager off of the one person show, you know, did you have a trajectory in mind for yourself? What did you talk about with those first reps and how did you steer towards that? What was the first material that you you put out 
or I guess created didn't you maybe it didn't even get made you know? yeah it didn't get made I, I wrote a, a feature uh screenplay called Dolly that uh, was sort of a coming of age story that took place at Dolly Wood um and uh <laughs> and it didn't get made but it got passed around and that was um you know, just like a sort of, I, I never trained as a writer. So I think it was also just me like learning about the stories I wanted to tell and how I wanted to tell them. Um, and then I started to act a lot um, more professionally. So I was doing a lot of theater and independent films as an actor, a lot of law and orders. It's like such a rite of passage in New York. Um, and my ex and I, uh, we entered into an open relationship and he wanted to write a script about it. And I was like, we're living it. I don't want to write about it. Uh, but he wrote it. And then at the end of this, like the, the end of a, this sort of year long experiment um, of an open relationship, he gave me the script and I was like, well, that's not actually how it went out. So then I took it and took, did my pass. Um, we had a third co-writer, Peter Duchan. Sure. It was an open relationship. And uh, we we need it, yeah, exactly. Uh, and um, and so that like I think it's writing for me has always been a deeply personal and almost meta exercise. Like it, uh, that in particular was like we both acted in the film. Uh, we went by our own names, even though it was you know a fictional film. But um, but that. Uh, I think I think that sort of well definitely was was um like boot camp. We made it for 15 grand. Uh we had, you know, like three crew members that we got off Craigslist and it got into South by Southwest and and then IFC bought it and and then it sort of made this splash. Um it was early. It was early like it was two we made it we shot it in 2008. We we premiered it in 2009. So um, it was like just as sort of mumblecore was happening, and um, and I think that as writers, we we like saw mumblecore and felt like, well, no, like write a script. <laughs> so the breakup words was sort of our response to that as writers. There's something to writing as self exploration, writing as catharsis, writing as a way to understand the world. You're also writing in, you know the machine of Hollywood. Um, so tell me about balancing those things, asserting your voice while also, you know, collaborating. Working in the studio system is really challenging. Uh, I'll just say that. <laughs> um, you know, like I made Band-Aid. Uh, that was my directorial debut. Um, and I wrote, directed, and starred in it. We shot it in 12 days. It was um, also... Yeah, it was a, a, a micro-budget indie film that was also incredibly personal. It's about a couple uh, who um, can't stop fighting, so they decide to turn their fights into songs and start a band. So it's a musical. Um, and that sort of made a splash at Sundance. And, and, um, and from there, I was approached to, um, to write or to, to pitch a take on the remake of the craft, which was, you know, <laughs> like very big shoes to fill and a legacy that means a lot to a lot of people. Also a genre that I had never worked in, but, um, 
you know, I think it was a an example of kind of what you're talking about, just how I approach everything, which is trying to find my way in through um, a story that I need to tell, because I think that is what you have to do. <laughs> um, writing is so arduous, and especially in the studio system, you are writing so many drafts and there are so many cooks in the kitchen that like it's got to be a story that's really important to you even if I I, even if I'm not connected to to (laughs) witchcraft per se or horror or the genre it's a story about um you know young women finding their voice in high school and so I my pitch on it was like I just immediately sort of downloaded like, oh yeah, that was a really traumatic time in my life as a young woman. Um, and my mother had moved me in with her boyfriend and and her three sons. And so that became my pitch was that basically I was moved into like a house of warlocks. <laughs> um, but, but I was able to sort of, um, yeah, find my way in through a, 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 personal narrative that then I could expand into something much larger, a universe that was much larger and something that I didn't know. And I think even when I'm not working in the studio system, like something like Band-Aid, I was really interested in how couples fight. Um, But I'm always looking for like a way in that is fresh. um, And that is also, that also takes me outside of my own experience so that I can be both like straddling my experience and also be outside of it. And so turning it into a musical was that for me, Um, you know, in, in quarantine um, we made a film called how it ends, which I was doing a lot of like inner child work with my therapist. um, And I did not know how to talk to my inner child. So we wrote a script that was basically the last day on earth, me and my inner child walking across Los Angeles and so it's like, you know, I think there are ways it's we made an apocalyptic comedy, but it was a way for me to also be exercising my own existential questions. Um, Lola Versus was like an interesting experience, a challenging experience, because we had gone from making a $15,000 micro budget indie with Breaking Upwards to being launched into the studio system. Um, and yeah, it's just, I think, managing managing um so many different opinions is is probably the greatest challenge and and learning how like how to navigate um trusting your own instincts while also playing ball yeah so so what have you found what are the ways to do that what works for you i'm still figuring it out um I think it's, it's always a challenge. Like, I think you always want to play ball and uh, because that's the nature of the business. Um, I think as a woman in particular, uh, there are um, even greater expectations that if you don't play ball, you're difficult. So um, there's a bit of a disadvantage even there in terms of self-advocacy, but um, I think it's like trying to figure out how to play ball and still remain true to yourself and your voice. Um, and also learning when, when it's, it's like gone a bridge too far and saying, and, and usually there's a barter system, you know, it's like, I'll give you this, but I'm going to keep that. And so you have to figure out a lot of, I think writing and filmmaking in general is like figuring out how to kill your darlings. So figuring out which darlings you're willing to kill 
in exchange for the darlings that you really want to fight for. Yeah, that's fair. At what point? Well, let's let's talk about process for a sec. Um, you know, you you mentioned writing is arduous, which I think we all agree. Um, what does your process look like if you're working on, you know, a feature, a pilot, whatever? Are you working on multiple projects at the same time? I, I personally like to focus on one project at a time. Um, I I don't always have that luxury, but um, that is more how my brain works. Um, and sometimes I'll have like I'll be working on something and I'll have an idea for something else. And that idea will then will just like percolate for many years until I have the space and bandwidth to focus on it. Um, Slip, the, the TV series that I, I um, created was percolating for many, many years. Like um, I, when I was writing the craft, I was also writing and directing a pilot for ABC called woman up that didn't get made. But um, so in that year, I was also acting on a show called Life in Pieces. So it was like, (laughs) I had to to really split my focus and I was able to do it. Um, But, uh, but at that moment I had this like idea for like my passion project, which was slip. And, and so it was interesting to sort of let all of, I don't think I could have ever made slip without making the craft. The craft was a very challenging experience. And I think, um, you know, a movie with a lot of imperfections that haunts me. (laughs) Uh, which we all have. Do you wait? Do, do you look back on that stuff and and you know? Do you think about it? Uh, clearly, you learn from it. <laughs> really? Oh yeah, all the time, all the time. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. I mean, there's a lot of trauma as a writer that we. I mean, there's so many. I mean, the things that I named are things that were produced. There are so many things that have never been produced, and and that I've poured my heart and soul into that you know, then die, and you just have to grieve those things and then the things that do get made like something like the craft which you know i'm proud of many things about it but um but yeah there are so many things that i you know wish were different and those things absolutely haunt me i i think about them all the time and i think about i mean there's no going back but i think about how the decisions that i might have made differently can inform future decisions i make I mean, that sounds like a pretty healthy attitude about the stuff. You know, it doesn't sound regretful, more, you know, what can I take from that experience? Yeah, I think like, because I come from guerrilla filmmaking, like the advice that I would give to writers is like, if I was beholden to the studio system, I think that I would have a less healthy experience, a less healthy relationship to something like that. I went and made How It Ends, which was a micro-budget film that I had no other cooks in the kitchen on. And that is how I was able to process the pain and grief of that film. And I think because, I I think whatever that is for you as a writer or creator, it's like really important to have your own things um, that can be a touchstone back to yourself. I think that is a great piece of advice. Um, all right. I want to get back to this process question. So when you're working on something, um, what does your day look like? How much are you able to give over to writing? What does the ideation phase look like? Walk me through it. Um, when I'm not working with a studio, I don't outline, which is, um, I know like sort of sacrilege, but I, um, 
I tend to, my process is really specific to, to me as everyone's is, uh, but I will get an idea and then I will like write incessantly <laughs> and I write fast. Um, like once, once I'm ready, it's like something like slip was percolating for a long time, but once I was ready, then it was like, I'll just write every day until the thing is done. Um, and I'll write for as long as I, I feel like it, but I don't have like, I'm going to write from eight to 10. Like I just go and go. Um, and then when I have like a vomit draft, I send it to trusted friends, a couple trusted friends and get their notes um, and then go back in and then send it to more trusted friends. And that sort of becomes that, um, that cycle. Uh, but yeah, I definitely, um, yeah, I'm, I'm like fast and focused. <laughs> That's impressive. I mean, it's hard to do. What does that first draft look like? How close is it to the thing you want to put on the screen? Um, it's not not that close. <laughs> it's not not that close, but I think I I um yeah, things always change. Um for sure. I'm trying to think of like, you know, it's funny cuz sometimes like when I'm working in the studio system, like we'll go I'll write the first thing and then we'll go through many 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 drafts and revisions and then we end up going back to the first thing. Um, and that's always an interesting lesson, it, it, but, you know, um, when I talk to my friends who like outline voraciously, I, I'm like, wow, that is also really cool. You know, like, I don't think there's one way to do it. I, I just, um, and, and I think, um, yeah, I think it's still, I'm still figuring out my process in terms of how much to, um, I guess I still am precious and I'm like learning how to be less precious. <laughs> are you, so are you precious like in the feedback part of the process? Are you, or are you precious with, you know, yourself in that initial draft? It sounds like in that initial draft, you're just getting stuff down. I'm getting stuff down, but like, um, you know, I'll, it's not like a, I, I called a vomit draft, but it's not a vomit draft. It's like, it, it does feel refined to a certain extent where I think that then I sometimes get tripped up with, with when I get notes being like, well, no, I'm ready to shoot this tomorrow. Like I just get very impatient because I think I am such a um, self-starter that I'm like, but we could go just make this. Um, and not that it's ever that easy, but, but um but yeah, I think I think it's important to to dissect things, even if you return back to no, I want to keep it. It's important to to really have to fight and defend things bef before landing there. Um, and I think also, like consensus is very edifying. You know, like if you have two people that are focusing on an area, even if they're saying different things, but it's the same area, you're like, okay, something's not working in that area and that's what i have to look at yeah i think that's that's smart and again very healthy of you um <laughs> are you are you aware how self-aware are you in the writing process like do you know about your tics and weaknesses do you 
think about that stuff, you know, like, and I say this because I've just spent the last three hours, like writing scenes that I know I'm going to take out of something. <laughs> like, why am I, I'm, but I'm still like giving it a hundred percent and hating myself for wasting my time. So like, what is your level of awareness when you are, you know, typing on, on the screen? Um, I think there's a part of me that loves letting my, my unconscious sort of run wild, which is I think part of why I don't outline. There's a part, and it's not that I don't have an idea of the structure of the piece. I, I always do, but I like to leave some things um, to chance and imagination because I just think it's like a magical alchemy that happens. And there are so few experiences in my life where I am submitting to something <laughs> greater than myself. Um, so um, I try to actually let go of self-awareness as I write. Um, and then when I go back in, I can have some self, more self-awareness. But I think like, as you grow as a writer, I think it's the same as a filmmaker. Like, um, yeah, as I'm writing, I think with an eye towards, I always have an eye towards production. So there's that self-awareness where I'm like, I'm not writing like a, a any scenes with like a hundred extras, you know, or I, I'm not writing anything. If it's something that I'm like, I want to make this independently. I'm not writing anything that, you know, has a ton of locations. I I'm always thinking with that hat on um, because it's impossible to get things made. And if you're writing to get it made, which one should be, then those are important factors to always be contending with. Has the way that you thought of yourself as a writer or the way you've talked about yourself as a writer to like the, your reps and, and people you are, are hoping to work with, has that changed over the years? Um, <laughs> I don't know how I talk about myself as a writer. Uh, you know, I mean, I think that I've stretched myself as a writer. Like I never, I'm, I'm not a horror buff by any means or a genre buff even. So I think even, you know, stepping into those shoes, probably, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it would make me talk about myself any differently, but it, it made me challenge myself. Um, you know, I was developing a show with HBO that was an hour long and I, I, up until that point really only identified as a, a, com a you know a comedy writer when it came to television so I think in those ways I I've shifted but um no I don't know how I talk about myself as a writer <laughs> <laughs> well so much of this is like about selling yourself right like it's presenting yourself to others who are going to right help you make the thing or let you make the thing um like is there I don't know. Is there a brand? Is there a way that you convey like this is this is the kind of material I want to work on, or this is who I am as a filmmaker? Yeah, I think I I I mean tonally, I I think I love things that can seamlessly navigate comedy and you know deep poignant um, emotions. Uh, and I think I generally am interested in, um, you know, women 
women's stories uh, or non-binary stories or trans stories. I think st stories that are uh, have have historically lived in the margins. Um, and I think I'm always trying to look at how to push those stories even further. I, like Slip was um, about a woman's sexual <laughs> pleasure and it was really putting a woman's sexual pleasure at the forefront of the narrative, it's it's about a woman who who um, learns that she can be transported in th into the multiverse through orgasm. So, um, you know, to me, it's like I'm looking to see what feminist narratives look like today and how we can keep pushing the envelope. Um, I think, like in terms of, it's funny. I don't. I never think of myself as selling myself as a writer. But I think when you're selling a story as a writer, like when you're pitching something, it, it is important to be clear on why you want to tell this story and why this story needs to be told now, why the story is personal to you, or what your way in is, and and also why the story is different from other stories like it. Or because... I mean, even when I feel that I'm in in pitching, writing something that feels completely singular, the you're always going to get, well, we have something sort of like it. So it's like, um, yeah, I think I think you have to also <laughs> believe in the story that you must tell because I've never made anything that hasn't been rejected like a hundred times before it's actually come to life. And most of the time it comes to life because I've willed it into existence come hell or high water. Um, so, you know, it's like you really, you're being tested at every turn that should this story be made? Does this story deserve to be told? And are you the one who deserves to tell it? Yeah. And it sounds like you've had that for every project. I mean, it sounds like you've had, it's your way in is I have to tell this story, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, knowing that though, and, you know, we talked about, you know, looking back on some of this stuff and and wishing you had made different decisions or wishing things had gotten differently. Are there projects that you've worked on where you feel like, this did it. This did exactly the job that I wanted it to do. This came out from the time I first sat down at my computer. This looks and feels the way I wanted it to. Yeah. A lot of my projects. I mean, How It Ends was very much that. Band-Aid was very much that. Um, Slip was was very much that. I wrote all seven episodes of Slip uh, in quarantine. And um I wrote all seven episodes, I think, because I wanted to protect it from development, which is not the healthiest relationship to development. But I think I, with this one, I was like, no, I, I see it from start to finish. I don't need a room. I I, I just, it was mine. And, um, uh, and, and it was rejected everywhere. Um, and then Tea Time, Dakota Johnson's, um, company came on board with uh, Boat Rocker, which is a great studio. And Katie O'Connell, this producer at, at Boat Rocker said, um, I've got an idea, like we could take this to Roku. Um, 
And there was an executive at Roku named Colin Davis, who is no longer there, but was a magical unicorn of an executive. And he read all seven scripts and gave um, us a straight to series green light without one script note. And that's absolutely unheard of, but that was the most affirming experience of my artistic life um, to be working within a system where where I was so um, trusted as a creator. And that lasted like from through production, through post-production, it was mine. You know, I was so, 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 so trusted. Um, and I directed every episode. And so it was really, um, it's the thing, I, it's definitely the thing I'm most proud of as an artist. Um, we just got nominated for two independent spirit awards, which is so exciting. And at the same time, uh, it's been removed from Roku and no one can see it. So it's just like this business is, it's, it's so much heartache. Um, even the things, and oftentimes the things you're most proud of are the ones that break your heart. How do you keep going against the incredible odds against any of us in this business and against the constant heartache? It's hard. Like, I don't want to sanitize it because it's really devastating all the time. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm particularly vulnerable around this time because... Um, I think to have a, something erased from public consumption is is just like it's awful. Um, I have hope that it will find a home. I think you have to just continue with from a place of hope um, and continue to write and create and find people who um, who you want to do that with, you know, like and at at any level. Like, even if you've never had anything produced as a writer, like find an emerging director who hasn't made anything and collaborate or find a hungry producer who's like wants to figure out how to make something on a shoestring budget. Or I think it's, I think the only way I've known how to handle the heartache is to keep defying the gatekeepers and say, it doesn't matter what you say, I can still make stuff. And every time I do that, I'm actually rewarded. Um, so I think it's a good lesson. Uh, it doesn't mean to, to ignore the things you're learning from the gatekeepers. Sometimes there are lessons to be learned, but I think oftentimes, yeah, it, it's, it's a, an industry that is so motivated by fear. Uh, and that is anathema to art making. So you really have to say, no, I'm not going to submit to that. That's great advice for anyone. Um, I want to touch on a couple of things before we start to wrap up. Um, what does an acting background or, or foreground give you uh, as a writer? And what does being a writer do for you as an actor? Well, I think it, it certainly impacts dialogue. Um, I write dialogue hearing people say it um which doesn't necessarily you know it, it's not specific to being an actor but i think um i think it's helpful in some ways uh it, it is something that i think a lot of writers who are you know who are writers <laughs> only 
tend to forget, like someone's going to be saying these words. So make sure that someone can say these words. Yeah. And say them yourself. Like, does that come out of your mouth easily <laughs> or, or does it feel writerly? And I think, um, yeah, for, for, you know, comedic rhythm, it's also helpful to know how to land a joke as a performer um, and know what it takes and know what works. Like I, I, I worked as an actor in television for many, many years uh, on sitcoms. And that's very much like, how do you land the laugh? It's a science. And it, and it is also um, a symbiosis with your writers uh, learning what works and what doesn't work. So um, uh, yeah, I think, I think it's helpful in that way. Um, and I think, you know, obviously I, I, I write for myself. So, so that's helpful. But um, I like, I personally love writing that when you're watching it on screen, you don't know if it's written or not, but it is written. <laughs> that's my favorite kind of writing. And so that's, that's what I try to achieve also as a writer is how to make something sound as deeply human as possible so that an audience member might wonder if it was improvised mm -hmm. which is also you know a sign of good acting <laughs> right totally it should feel so natural yeah improvised. yeah um i want to hear about before we wrap up the ones that got away uh what is the stuff that you're like this would have been my favorite thing that i've made what is the thing that you're like still holding out hope for <laughs> well you know i mean i think that the the, the abc pilot is one that like really still hurts. <laughs> it's not, it's not a script that wasn't made. The pilot was produced. We, we shot it. Um, it tested super well. It was something that I was incredibly proud of. Um, and that year, um, you know, like many people's stories, like the brass at, at ABC changed from the time that I sold it to the time that uh, they were doing pickups and and not I think maybe for the first time in like ABC's history not a single comedy was picked up to series so it was just like a like shit timing but um, but I loved it and I still am like that would still be a great show and the real tragedy is that um, they won't even let me have the pilot like I my parents have never seen it you know and like millions of dollars were spent on this thing, millions and millions of dollars, and it just disappeared. <laughs> um, so I would say that's the one that hurts the most. That's so frustrating. <laughs> I'm so mad about that. I know. <laughs> Zoe, thank you for chatting today. We will end as we always do by asking what you are watching on television or in the movies lately. What's getting you excited or inspired? What are you talking about with your friends and loved ones? Well, I was just at Sundance, so I'm like really inspired generally. But uh, I got to see um, Rose Glass's new film, Love Lies Bleeding, with Kristen Stewart and Katie O'Brien, and it rocked me. <laughs> I can't stop talking about it. I absolutely loved it. Um, it is like queer erotic cinema at its best. Um so yeah, that was really exciting. And I and Jesse Eisenberg, uh, his directorial debut I saw also at Sundance called A Real Pain. And uh, it was bought by Searchlight, but it's really a special film. Um, 
a TV, you know, I, I loved, um, Boots Riley's I'm a Virgo. I, I thought it was so inventive and, uh, fun and, uh, inspired. And, and I love like practical effects. And when people are doing things like, to see craftsmanship on the screen in that way is really exciting. Um, yeah, I think I, yeah, I'm trying to think what else, you know, my, my friend who I'm collaborating with right now, Dina Amar made a film called, uh, you resemble me. That is, um, it premiered at Venice and it's, it's a really brilliant film, a narrative film about the first female suicide bomber it takes place in Paris. And, um, that, that was really amazing. And I also loved, uh, Riley Keough and, and Gina Gamble's uh, directorial debut, um, called War, War Pony that, uh, takes place on, uh, a reservation. That's just incredible filmmaking also. These are great recommendations. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, come back anytime. Uh, thanks for having me.